0: There's also a lot to juggle, racing your bike at that level along with holding a career. Um, I made a mistake of walking into um, a nurse practitioner's office for some help with anxiety and he um, diagnosed me with adhd and really pushed the diagnosis on me and i know now he's grown his practice and he specializes in adhd in a college town where i'm sure he is just making tons of money off of college students and and adhd medication um, and faculty too because that's what i was um anyway i had a really horrible reaction to adderall almost from the beginning um but again, because it was his specialty, he was convinced that um, what I, the new symptoms I was feeling was just my ADHD somehow getting um, out of hand or out of control. So he kept increasing my medication over the course of the year. And several months later, I was in um, something called Adderall-induced psychosis, um, which started with mania, and then um, I forgot my life. And, um, It was like I would wake up every morning not knowing what was going on and make up stories in my head about my life. And I actually wrote them all down because I'm a writer. It's writing is what I used to teach at NAU. Um, And so for four months, I sat alone at my house with my dog taking my prescribed dose of ADHD medication um, and pushing people in my life away from me because I didn't recognize them or know who they were. And my mind was making up different stories about them. I have always been a proponent of um, when in a tough spot or a rough spot um, going outside and feeling small in a really big place. And so that was another reason that I chose the Arizona Trail Race is I just wanted that time in the backcountry and in nature to well, really feel like myself again, but also to feel small like there was that there's something out there, even if we just say nature that was bigger, bigger than me, more powerful than me. And, more powerful than the problems that I was feeling.
1: That was Chase Edwards, ultra endurance cyclist who has an amazing story. I was super, super pumped that she decided to join the Stoke podcast today. Um, I want to thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. This is episode four um, on the Stoke podcast and man, did we talk about some cool stuff. Uh, she, she, is the winner of 2021 arizona trail race it's 800 miles from the mexican border all the way up to the border of arizona and utah going through the grand canyon going through the ponderosa pines and flagstaff and starting in the desert so um it's such a cool feat uh just to accomplish accomplish it let alone um to win it uh She accomplished this feat in 10 days and 18 hours. This is absolutely unreal. That's almost a hundred miles a day. So uh, she is a badass and she um, has an amazing story to tell. In 2020, uh, there was a misdiagnosis of ADHD from a healthcare provider and this caused an adverse effect to a prescription medicine, Adderall. And it led Chase into a spiraling case of psychosis. She persevered and the Arizona Trail Race was her, her light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I had an amazing story to tell. Um, before we get into the podcast, um, you guys know I bring it up every time. Confluence 928 Off-Road Team is in effect. We uh, are stoked for the 2023 season. Uh, huge shout out to our sponsors, Moxie Life. Um, they have wonderful nutrition. Uh, Hydro Mag um, is one of their products and it is a daily powder that tastes wonderful that I just throw into a water that gives me my dose of magnesium. Um, so my body doesn't let go of all of my electrolytes when I'm sweating. Uh, it has helped a bunch with my cramping and my energy and it helps with my mood. Um, they also have wonderful electrolytes called Phytolite. And this gives you the phytonutrients that you need on your big trail days. If you're running or biking, um, this helps replenish the body while you're in activity and also just a great electrolyte when you aren't riding or running or hiking or whatever those activities may be Um, tim ellen the realtor for supporting the team Um, he's a real estate agent here in cottonwood arizona Um, and his stoke is always high he's such a good human being um, and a good friend Uh, we got freshly mint socks keeping those feet snug keeping those feet happy on those big, big days on the bike. We got uh Enduro Bites and their pre-workout is a Beat Formula. Oh man, Uh, I I don't have anything bad to say about this product. Um, I love it on those really intense days or on race day. Um, So huge shout out to Enduro Bites for that. Uh, Let's see, who else we got? Single Speed Coffee Roasters, keeping us caffeinated. Kenzie and I own the Single Speed Coffee Trailer. It's basically the coffee shop on two wheels that goes to all of the races around Arizona. We'll be at 24-hour town this year at Old Pueblo, so we're super stoked for that. Um, bada boom, bada bing. We got more. We got more. But anyway, guys, enough of me rambling on. Um, let's get to it. Let's dive into this new episode, episode 4, with Chase Edwards.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, just so listeners know, like, um, what, what kind of got you into cycling in the first place?
0: Yeah, so I was actually a rock climber in my 20s and climbing guide. And when I went back to grad school, um, I found myself a little bit too stressed to be um, coordinating climbing partners all the time. Um, And I'm the kind of person that really likes to have an outdoor activity because I find just a lot of, um, uh, it's just a great way to balance the other areas of my life. And so um, Flagstaff, Arizona is a really um, amazing um, bike area with terrain and community. And so I got on a bike for the first time and I dragged my feet because I didn't want to pick up another sport, but when I did, I didn't regret it and started putting in huge miles around Flagstaff. Um, and it, and soon loved it so much that I started racing, um, elite and for the construction zone, um, team, um, out of Arizona. Nice.
1: And, um, so you started, like, because climbing in Flagstaff, if anyone doesn't know, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably one of the best in the country um, of just unreal rock to be to be touching with your bare fingertips. True. Um, and then, so what got you into, like, what year was it, like, how many years was it after rock climbing you, you found cycling? Oh,
0: that's a good question. I would say um, almost a decade because nice. I started climbing... In college and in my 20s so it wasn't until the end of my 20s that I picked up mountain biking and just fell madly in love with it and with it was a great way to get to know other parts of Arizona as well
1: cool and did you start your cycling more of just an immense hobby like and you just loved it or did you have any um, did, did you think you were gonna race
0: yeah I didn't and I was actually really against racing, which is why I rock climbed because I spent my entire youth, um, uh, cross country running and Nordic skiing with my dad as my coach. And I did my first junior Olympic running race when I was only 10 years old. (laughs) So it consumed my childhood. And so I was really actually against racing, but, um, I think because I chose mountain biking on my own and wasn't pushed into it by another person. Um, and and just it suited me, and I like being able to go big um, and see a lot of areas while I'm riding, and so it it stuck, and I stuck with it. So
1: sweet, sweet. Um, do you do you recall um, like growing up? It was almost like um, Nordic skiing and racing in a way where you were forced into it, and that's always like. You just never wanna do yeah. something.
0: And when it's your dad's the coach, it yeah. just was my whole life. And I think I did needed a break from competition, but um there the women's community at bike races, because we are still the minority, um, is really a tight fit, especially in the National Ultra Endurance series, a lot of encouragement um with each other. Um and so I think I was really drawn to that too, and and almost was like saw a need for more women. In the sport and latched onto that
1: there's still i mean it's such a need for more women joining the sport Mm -hmm. um and so we'll fast forward when you started racing how shortly was it until you realized okay i need to actually race elite instead of expert or whatever Mm -hmm. um, racing you were doing like when when did you know okay actually i'm good at this this is something that i kind of want to pursue more because um, when you start riding, it's a pursuit just, in, just as anything is. I mean, when you get on a bike, you're like, "Oh, how far can I go? But, yep. you, you know, when you don't know how other people perform compared to yourself and then you finally do really well, how was that transition of knowing, okay, now I'm an elite
0: cyclist? Yeah, so I tried to balance climbing with my new love of cycling for the first couple of years um, and actually... Um, at age 29, my birthday party was um, rock climbing in Indian Creek. And then by the next year, um, I have an ex-partner that says that I uh, stuck to mountain biking like and fly on shit. And that was kind of what it was. <laughs> I just loved it so much that I started um, canceling climbing trips to put in big miles. And I did a lot of 12 and 24-hour races. And then did my first 100-mile race in Big Bear and won that and it was the payout was a thousand bucks I'm not gonna lie that was pretty rad to stand on the podium um, with a big thousand dollar check um and uh I guess it was after that that I was like well I think I could make like a little bit of a side project or if not side career out of this um and I loved 100 mile races for a really long time I like being able to see A lot of um the area that i'm riding in um and hundreds are hard because you push yourself like you're racing cross country but then it just keeps going um and so yeah so that was sort of how i started out so it was maybe a couple years juggling it with climbing and then um by 30 i was pretty stoked on the women's scene and also there's a lot of research out there that your endurance um kind of picks up in your 30s so it was good timing for that sweet
1: and so thirty years old, you win Big Bear, which is a huge race, a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's insane <laughs> to go and like race a bike and be like, oh my god, <laughs> we're going shopping. Uh, no, seriously, like that's insane. Um, so the hundred miles are an amazing course. Anywhere you go, it is. It is a way to see so much of the trail, and I'm just like you, where it's a hundred mile racing isn't a gag. yes yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're doing the xc race but moderate monitoring your rpms you know like you're you're going pretty hard for 100 miles so it is painful um <laughs> like really painful but so when did you get into ultras
0: um so then i yeah i got into bike packing shortly after and just wanted to do it all um i had been following the blog of Esther rainey who has won um tour divide and the colorado trail race and she has she actually still has one of the colorado trail race records i think and i just loved the idea of sleeping in the dirt for a couple hours and racing as hard as you can on a long trail just really seemed like my style um, and so I did a few bikepacking trips every year as sort of while training for the hundred milers and did a couple of ultra endurance series or ultra endurance, um, bikepacking races, um, but smaller ones of the more like two, 300 variety. And then in 2021, as I was coming back from the medical malpractice incident that um, was mentioned earlier, um, I dove in sort of full on for the Arizona trail race, which is 800 miles from the Mexico border to the Utah border, and you cross the Grand Canyon with your bike on your back. And that's the longest that I've done so far, and it was an incredible experience. And now, um, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm getting ready for training for um, the Stagecoach 400, which is in March, so that'll be my next big bikepacking race. Who puts that on? Um, a gal named Meg Noble runs it. Um, and it's out of Wild, out of Wild, California.
1: Okay, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, well, that's a really cool way of like kind of dipping your toes in the water. Is still training for 100s by these ultra races. Um, and was it an easy transition? Like, I know you wanted to like ride your bike so far, yeah. um, but what was challenging about the transition of? I can bring two water bottles and a handful of, you know, nuts on a hundred mile race. But with an ultra, like ultra anything over a hundred, you really have to like plan your water, plan your food, plan where, what you're going to be taking mm-hmm. with you. So how was that transition?
0: It takes so much more preparation, um, especially cause it's uh, self-supported. And so you can't have someone out there handing you up water bottles or feed zones. Like that, so you really do, especially for the Arizona Trail, need to know where your next water is going to be, and carry usually carrying around four to five liters between um, between water sources. Um, So a ton more prep, but then also there's a lot more sort of in the moment planning and strategy, or yes, going on in the moment while you're racing, which I really find engaging too, because you can't memorize the whole like 800 miles of the Arizona Trail, for example. So you also go in knowing that you're going to be spending some time thinking that, I mean, you have a lot of time to think, but thinking about when your next resupply is and how many calories to get there. Um, And then taking care of your bike for 800 miles is also huge. So there's no, um, no feed zones and no places for mechanics to (laughs) meet you on the trail. So you got to be able to handle all that yourself as well. Um, so there is a big difference, um, but I did spend my early 20s, um, climbing and mountaineering guiding. And I think that that gave me a little bit of an edge, because um, a lot of that crosses over just the wilderness, um, preparation aspect and feeling comfortable out there.
1: And knowing what to put in a backpack yeah, is huge. If you've never done a backpacking trip, how would you, you know, for me, I've only, I've done a few backpacking trips, so I would kind of know, mm-hmm. but if you never have done a backpacking trip, you, there's a lot of equipment out there too that's super lightweight and things that, you know, things that are accessible that you can put on, you put on your bike. Totally. Um, and it's
0: a really fine balance between, um, how little you can carry and still stay safe and relatively comfortable with, um, on a bike. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause you forget some for the... AZT 800, it's not like forgetting your wallet at home, you know, it's like, I forgot one water bottle. No. Um, so I, I, couldn't even imagine, uh, how, how much planning, preparation, and also wrapping your mind around an 800 mile race. Um, what was that like? I mean, how do you even begin to prep? mentally for something
0: like that. Yeah, so it was really interesting for me. So I was really, um, really into race strategy and applying it to um, life and then also in races. And this goes for hundred mile races and then also the big bike packing ultras. And so things like um, chunking down the amount of um, miles that you have um, in your head so that you're not from the start for instance, going, oh my God, 800 miles. Instead, you're bringing it into like little manageable chunks. Um, and I do that in my work life in my just daily life too. Um, and then also thinking a lot about, um, what you can control and what you can't control and keeping your mind on what you can control because things in the hundred mile races, I mean, that's still a long time to keep your body and your bike, um, going, um, at, at a quick pace. Um, and so I use that for that as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, It's much easier for that 10 miles to the gas station than that (laughs) 785 miles to the the finish line. Um, So just a lot about chunking things down, kind of planning. This is what I can control, and this is what I can't control. Um, And when things get hard, which I'm sure they did, what was kind of your mantra? Like, how did you kind of keep moving forward?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I like to tell myself... um, that I'm here now and so that that's sort of the way of being like okay so control what you can in the moment now um, and then honestly um, on the AZT I found laughing to be really valuable because um, after sleeping for a couple hours in the dirt you wake up super sore like super swollen feet and it feels like even just like crawling out of your bivy sack is not possible and so I would often um, drink some water or um, something with a little caffeine in it, and just like think of something funny and start laughing until I can get out of the bootie sack. And <laughs> then you're good. And then, it, then, I, then I was good. Um, and that worked really well. And I think um, sort of on us on a smaller scale, there's a lot of research on just smiling to help you kind of get back into the moment and um, feel positive and how good smiling is for you. And I think I needed to kind of one up that a little bit on the AZT because it was so rugged and so laughing is what I did.
1: Hikers are walking by, who's this person laughing? At? <laughs> <laughs> <She had herself. laughs> um, that's a really cool technique to use and something that I really have never thought about. Uh, smiling, on the other hand, I have used, you know, when when you're just like, what the fuck am I doing? You yeah. smile, you're like, all right, I'm a little bit better, but laughing's a whole nother level. Um, and my, my biggest thing <clears throat> to wrap my head around, if... I were to ever do an ultra is like the darkness is a hard thing to face for me. Um, I love riding at night with my light, and I'm out at the, at the trails right mm-hmm. near my neighborhood. But knowing how far away I am from anything and anyone, and especially at night too, when there's no buddy, mm-hmm. like everyone's not going on a nice night hike, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you know that you're just kind of alone out there. Um. Are is that? Are you comfortable with the night riding part? As like the aspect of it?
0: Yeah, I am, and I also crack myself up because I've been saying uh, since I moved to Arizona in my early twenties that I wanted to see. I wanted one of those moments with a mountain lion, um, where you like make eye contact, and it's like super surreal. And then as soon as night hits when i'm racing at ultra i'm like it's it's actually okay if that doesn't happen right now (laughs) mountain lions it's okay um but i did see one on a big training ride this summer and so i did get my like moment of eye contact with a mountain lion at dusk and that was pretty cool and pretty non-threatening feeling um but still um yeah, I do laugh when you're like really, when I'm really tired in the middle of an ultra and not actually wanting to encounter that mountain lion. Yeah,
1: no way. That's the one thing I think about. Where did you see this mountain lion?
0: Um, it was around Stoneman Lake Road. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> nearby.
1: Oh man, it, I, I shouldn't even have asked. Yeah. <laughs> there's a good loop out there that I have on um, my GPS that I know exists and I, I just haven't done it yet, but it goes right by Stoneman Lake, so I don't know if I'll be doing that one. <laughs> mountain lions are my for sure I knew I, I, could, I could I could go fist for fist with one for a little bit like I think I could throw in a good fight but that's the one thing I know will just it's a monster out yep. there you have to like literally, literally worry about getting attacked by a monster um, while you're having a fun time on the trail <sighs> yeah so the nighttime is okay if you don't yeah. <laughs> make eye contact with a, with a mountain lion yeah um, but other than that, it's like, for you, it's not like scary or the unknown. Really, that's my thing. It's Yeah, as long as I world. can stay
0: awake, I usually get a little bit of a second wind. Um, I think it's something to do with the temperature dropping and it feels a little bit exciting. And also, I think a little, I mean, probably I'm getting a little, I probably do get a little nervous at night, but it feels like a second wind. You can just kind of channel it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just, all right, here we go.
1: Just rode all day. Now I'm going to ride all night. Yep. <laughs> cool. Because um, the reason I asked, the two nights ago, I was um, I helped coordinate the Yavapai Hustle race that's out here by blowout. Oh, cool. But I was doing trail markings, and the sun went down. And uh, I shortly stopped marking trails because it was different because you have to get off your bike, and I didn't have a headlamp. And I'm banging the course markings in. But the whole time, I'm like... Oh, I'm so vulnerable. I'm gonna I'm gonna die. I gotta give my fiance a call. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with the ultras, for me it's gonna be the night riding yeah. for sure. <clears throat> um well sweet, and then I I wanna dive into the Arizona Trail. Yeah. Um, because this was a very significant race for you, not in your career, but I feel as if um, it was important to you just for yourself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for anyone else, this was your race. Um, and can you go into like why the Arizona Trail Race was super significant um, for you?
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I'll backtrack to 2019, um, which was the height of my um, racing career of hundreds in racing professionally. Um, and I had just won the Ultra Endurance Series, um, and I had been promoted at work. I was a lecturer at NAU um, to senior lecturer. So it was a really good year. I had a lot to celebrate. Um, and unfortunately, at the end of 2019, um, it was also a lot to juggle racing your bike at that level along with holding a career. Um, I made a mistake of walking into um, a nurse practitioner's office for some help with anxiety. And he um, diagnosed me with ADHD and really pushed the diagnosis on me. And I know. Now he's grown his practice and he specializes in ADHD in a college town where I'm sure he is just making tons of money off of college students and, and ADHD medication um, and faculty too, because that's what I was. Um, anyway, I had a really horrible reaction to Adderall almost from the beginning. Um, but again, because it was his specialty, he was convinced that um, what I, the new symptoms I was feeling was just my ADHD somehow getting um, out of hand or out of control. So he kept increasing my medication over the course of the year. And several months later, I was in um, something called Adderall-induced psychosis, which started with mania, and then um, I forgot my life. And um, put. it was like I would wake up every morning not knowing what was going on, and make up stories in my head about my life. And I actually wrote them all down because I'm a writer, it's writing is what I used to teach at NAU. Um, And so for four months, I sat alone at my house with my dog taking my prescribed dose of ADHD medication um, and pushing people in my life away from me because I didn't recognize them or know who they were. And my mind was making up different stories about them. And then I was finally hospitalized and they actually had to drug me to bring me down From this, And so again, it's like the drug that was making me sick, I was continuing to take while I was sick for four months. So like what that did to my brain is is scary to think about. Um, And so after I came, I actually went back to Michigan for a little bit to um, where I grew up. And then when I came back to Flagstaff, um, I had humiliated myself on my professional athlete Instagram account. And most of the community knew something had happened to me, but didn't know the details. And I suddenly found myself isolated without the community and friends and support that I was used to having. Um, And so it was really hard to get back on my feet and also back on my bike. Um, But I lost everything except my house and my bikes. And so riding my bike seemed like what I should do. And so I went to United Bicycle Institute to get my bike mechanics certification um, over the summer. And it was there that I called my mom, actually in tears, and said, "I have to do something that involves racing again if I'm going to be okay. Like, um, like I don't think I can love working on bikes if I don't also find something fulfilling with racing again." And so I had two. There was two months before um, the Arizona Trail Race, which back in my professional days, it would have taken a whole year to plan for a race like that. But um, but she said she had me, and that her wine bar would sponsor me while I trained for the next two months. So. Um, after getting my bike mechanic certification, I came back to Flagstaff, um, and just started putting in huge miles. And I, every time that I found myself getting weighed down by the events of this is 2020 was when the medical malpractice and the, I, and that I suffered from Adderall psychosis happened. Um, I would just visualize myself on the AZT, um, and put in huge miles and visualized myself on the AZT and forced myself to smile sometimes, Um, gradually became more comfortable going into the bike shop again that I had been going to for 10 years and being able to say hi and smile and get caught up on life with people. And so then I rode from my house um, in Flagstaff down to the start of the race. And at the start of the race, it was like I was back in community again. And that felt really good. Um, Alexandra Houchin. Was a big name in um, ultra-endurance cycling, gave me a big hug, so did the race organizer, and I felt just at peace with all of it again, and it was a great way to start that race. And I should also mention that the reason I was drawn to the AZT as sort of my comeback race is because it is entirely self-supported. And so again, I felt as though I had lost a lot of friends and community because of this incident, and so I needed something where um, I could just support myself. Like, I didn't need to call on friends and people to give me hand ups at feed zones and things like that like I would do with the hundreds um and so that was that piece was really important to me as well
1: That's I, I couldn't even fathom uh what that experience must have felt like because I, I studied psychology and the brain is the number one chemical maker and yeah. and uh, that we know of it's um We're continuously making chemicals, but your conscious awareness is reality. So I I couldn't even imagine how you would feel when your reality is not everyone else's. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, someone said that the only reason we call it reality is we're all having the same hallucination. But someone who's on psilocybin is, you know, having another experience and a whole nother reality and same with LSD or whatever. So to you, it is now a shifted reality. Um, And like, I commend you for getting out of that in such a impactful and powerful way, you know, to really do something for yourself that was completely unsupported. You wanted to support yourself and do this for you. Um, Yeah, Chase, reading your story was like so, touching, like heartbreaking and touching and, and inspirational. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of want to go back to that medical malpractice because, you know, you really should have been kind of informed on Adderall and the effects of it and and ADHD, especially from a a doctor. And it's always scary if you're talking to someone in a white coat, Mm -hmm. there's a trust that, you know, you wouldn't have trust in others just because of the stigma that they're a doctor. Yeah. Um, and so was it shortly after this malpractice, you knew that I now feel more anxiety after taking Adderall or, you know, like what was that first initial week or two when you were like, I don't think something's right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really um, interesting question for me because um the anxiety that I felt coming back to my community, um, after recovering from Adderall psychosis was so like, that was real anxiety and being nervous. And it like, whatever I was feeling when I walked in there to manage a little bit of anxiety back at the end of 2019, just felt like a joke. Like, like really, yeah. <laughs> just give me that dose of anxiety back. And I got that under wraps yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was having to manage that. And then I guess, um, uh, it's interesting to me thinking about um when the misdiagnosis and the and Adderall was prescribed because I also bike commute everywhere. And so I walked into that clinician's office. He was only a nurse practitioner actually, not a full-on doctor. Um with my bike helmet in my hand and my messenger bag, um and I think that I was stereotyped. It didn't matter that I said, "Hey, I'm a professional athlete." Um while also juggling a career at um, Northern Arizona University. Like none of he didn't hear any of that. I think he just saw like helmet hair. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and made some assumptions. Oh, this
1: is a normal flagstaff person, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they all have ADHD. Yeah, they all have here, here you go. Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, just right from the get go, he walked in and it wasn't a it wasn't an actual doctor. It was just um, a nurse practitioner. practitioner. Yep, and prescribed you a normal amount of. Adderall for ADHD
0: and then just kept increasing it. That was the, that was the horrible part.
1: Um, did they do any, um, psychological tests on ADHD? You know, they asked questions. They,
0: yeah, he asked me a few questions. Um, and, um, again, balancing, raising professionally and balancing a career is a lot. So, you know, sometimes I can be a little scattered and maybe I do have a little ADHD, but, um, not enough to warrant the um, FDA's highest recommended dose, which is what he had me on at the end, which for a small, a relatively small woman is just too much. I mean, it's the amount that you would give a linebacker.
1: (laughs) Totally. So totally. And, and Adderall would disrupt your eating, eating schedule, the way you hydrate yourself. Um, And then there's so much more that goes into um, just the drug in general that, affects multiple different aspects of your life, which then affects the mind again, you know? And so it's like this positive feedback back loop that really doesn't help anything. Um, And how long long was this prescribed to you? And did you let the nurse practitioner know that I'm not feeling right?
0: Yeah, it's actually... um, (laughs) Yeah, it's... um, So it was almost a full year of being prescribed it, except that he would prescribe it because it's really not regulated well in Arizona, um, so that more than I ever needed a month. So when I stopped going to those appointments when I was in psychosis, I had enough to just keep taking it. So I stopped showing up for my appointments with him um, because it didn't matter because he would already prescribed me enough to keep taking it. And um, I had a fill-in provider, it was all over Zoom because of the pandemic, who I am directly quoted in her notes of saying, I don't think my ADHD is as bad as I think it is. I think I need a lower dose of Adderall because my friends were starting to become concerned. um, And so told me I needed, like, really needed to address it with a provider. And she increased the dose based on the original nurse practitioner's recommendation anyway and just said, well, you'll have it if you need it. And this is all documented in the notes. um, And it doesn't matter. And I've learned since that... um, A handful of lawsuits were um, won against Adderall or the company that makes Adderall and prescribers over the last few years. And so now Adderall has like a big watch, the maker of Adderall has a, whose name I forget, has a big like watchdog group that they pump a ton of money into. And so attorneys won't take Adderall cases at all anymore because they figured out how to... I don't know, how to win them, even though all of the science on suffering from a significant adverse reaction from Adderall um, is, is there. I mean, it's a real threat to some to some people. Um, and it, yeah, the drug needs to be taken much more seriously. And I really do think I've had a lot of people reach out to me um, with similar experiences and some really sad ones about their, um, their loved ones or um, parents of children who've committed suicide saying Adderall was the last thing that they were prescribed and just knowing that that led to a tragedy such as suicide like it, it i think i think it's the next opioid pandemic is what i'm trying to to say i think we're going to start seeing it monitored a lot more i hope
1: soon it should be um t- totally because uh, it sounds like it's easier when marijuana was illegal right. to get a <laughs> medical card yeah you know and it was pretty easy to get a medical card right because Whoever prescribed it is getting money for that medical card, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's treated as more of a budget than a medicine, which that's a problem when literally we're prescribing these medications for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy at all, especially when you're endangering lives and minds, you know? Um, so, um, through that, have you? Yes, you know, so you've been reached out by people who've had that same, kind, not same experience, but that, that same adverse effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool though that you are an outlet to tell. You told your story and it was a really cool story. So you'll probably get more and more people coming to you, um, like myself, wanting to hear your story so that more people can, you know, hear this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but what. It's like, it's hard to even, yeah, it's just hard to even put my own feet in your shoes um, regarding that situation. And how long did it last?
0: Um, Yeah, so it was, well, five months total that I was in what's called psychoses. Um, And then um, it took me several months to rebound. I mean, the drugs that they put me on, um, also did some damage to my brain chemistry, like it um, stifled my dopamine and things like that. Um, and so it took me several months to really feel like myself again. I mean, I just felt like a slow moving, sad version of myself for a lot of 2021 actually until, um, until the Arizona Trail race. Um, and then I have always been a proponent of um, when in a tough spot or a rough spot. Um, Going outside and feeling small in a really big place And so that was another reason that I chose the Arizona trail races. I just wanted that time in the backcountry and in nature to Well, really feel like myself again, but also to feel small like there was that there's something out there Even if we just say nature that was bigger bigger than me more powerful than me and more powerful than the problems that I was feeling
1: absolutely and uh After that experience, because now moving on, um, you start the Arizona Trail Race Mm -hmm. and you're with a community again and you're starting to feel more and more like yourself. Um, I want to hear now, like, everything that you experienced on the, probably not everything because we'll be here for (laughs) days, I'm sure, but um, what was the, the, the three most highest points that you had on that? On the arizona trail race
0: yeah so the race is pretty fun because there's a 300 mile race too and so um the in 2021 they started in different spots but um, eventually i caught up to the 300 milers um and raced with them um, until they made it to the picket post trailhead and i would say that first 300 miles was definitely a highlight because i was riding back and forth with um Um, a really awesome woman um, whose husband owns Z-Packs out of Denver. Um, Her name's Kristen, and we were back and forth and riding together, and that was really fun. Um, And it felt like community for those first 300 miles. And then most of the people stop racing at 300 miles, and then that was when the sort of, like, long, lonesome miles start. But I was also looking forward to those, um, too, again, because of that feeling of awe and wanting to feel small and a big place and just spend some time going hard, um, on my own. And so, so the first 300 miles were a highlight. Um, there was one moment where I, um, the terrain is on the Arizona trail. It's just, it's incredible and so rugged and pretty technical. And I did a huge nose dive into, um, some cat claw early on and really thought my whole face Um, It was at night. I thought my whole face was going to get shredded and I just remember closing my eyes and like rolling into the cat claw and I came out of it fine. I had a scraped up knee. That was it. Um, But that was kind of a highlight too, to be like, all right, that was a nasty crash. And I was okay. Shake it off. Keep going.
1: Yeah, because that could, you know, take you out. Yeah, um, it was a little if you didn't land right. And
0: as it was happening, I thought it was going to. So I would say, um, yeah, making it out of that cat claw. All right. was definitely a highlight. I saw some kit foxes um, early on. That was a highlight. Um, Let's see. The Grand Canyon was, I thought that was going to be my favorite part of the race. Um, And it's still, I'll always think of it as a highlight because it's the Grand Canyon, which is incredible. But it was the hardest thing I have ever done. And again, I've lived in Flagstaff for a while and done some pretty big adventures in the canyon and really thought like, I got this. It's not going to be a big deal. But the way I had the bike positioned on my back, I mean, I crawled through the Grand Canyon.
1: And that's 26 miles, right? Yeah. yeah. And did you, so you have to walk your bike. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always something I was thinking of, like, do you take the front wheel off? Kind of place it on the back.
0: Yeah, I actually took both wheels off, and then there's parts coming up the north rim that I was doing in the dark that are really narrow. And occasionally, if I like maneuvered just like wrong enough, my derailleur would like scratch the wall of the canyon. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was like slogging super slow, trying to be aware of the derailleur. Yeah. Um. So, but then, yeah, I mean, I it was I think the most pain painful experience of my life, and I still look back at it now, and I'm like, oh, that was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's always horrible when you're in yeah. the moment, and then when you when, it, when it's done, you're like, oh, that was the best. <laughs> um, and then you have to hike out of the rim, which is huge. <laughs> and was walking that the most physical part of the race?
0: Yeah, and it was the most painful. My feet were destroyed. Um, I had ripped holes in my socks just on the ride down to start the AZT and so my little toes were like red and sticking out of my socks it was it was so bad and like blisters and I had um then just two more days of riding less than two more days of riding after that and my I mean my feet were I mean they looked like they belonged to an elephant I couldn't get them in and out of my shoes really did you bring yes you brought hiking shoes nope I just wore my cleats you wore your cleats for 26 yeah. miles so or- that was, that was beta from Kurt Raufschneider, um, who has the men's record yeah. um, from a few years ago. And he said, yeah, you're so tired. You don't want to, like, deal with... Just don't deal. <laughs> and so it was it was all right, you know? Sweet. <laughs> but, yeah. Wow.
1: And then uh, how far was it from the North Rim home? Well, not um, home to flag, but... To I the think finish.
0: it's, like, 75 miles to the finish from the North Rim. So it went a lot slower than I was expecting. But, um, but that... Uh yeah, I, towards the end, there um, are a few dirt roads and some actually really mellow um, flow single track coming into the campground that goes on forever. And I kept falling asleep, which I had never done before in an ultra. Um, but like falling asleep while riding and like about to like crash and like have to wake up. And so I sang to myself to try and stay awake to the finish. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, so, <laughs> and you didn't sleep through the Grand Canyon or did you? Didn't because you have
0: to get a permit if you're going to do that. So I slept, I had pushed all the way through and slept at the, at the rim.
1: You have to get a permit yeah. and ultimate an race to sleep in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. That's pretty sweet though. <laughs> yep. Um, so guys, whoever wants to do the AZT, get a permit if you want to sleep in the Grand Canyon <laughs> um, and 75 miles of sleep exhaustion to the finish line. And was that morning, night? Um, I sm-
0: So I finished, it was a full day of riding. And then I finished, I guess, in the middle of that next night. Pretty sure that's right. Yeah, yeah. middle of that next night, um, two a.m. I think I rolled into onto the Utah border.
1: <laughs> nice. And then, um, were there people there?
0: Um, so my mom and my aunt and my dog met me, and then Kurt Ruffshiner met me too, which is pretty fun to be met by sort of one of the biggest legends in alt endurance racing. Yeah, that he is good.
1: the man. Um, but it was just like kind of really. Three people. Yeah, that was it. a <laughs> <Cinderella> campfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's ultra though. That's so fun. Like mm-hmm. um, three people that you wouldn't, you know, three of the best people that you want to be at the finish line. Yeah. Um, and there's no uh, there's no big pop up finish line like you see a hundred mile races. <laughs> <laughs> just just a campfire. Um, well, that's that's amazing. Um, what were your emotions like when you were done?
0: I was really excited to see my dog, um, and really excited to be done, um, and really excited to do it again, because it was one of those things where I knew, um, I mean, it's always like this with the big ultra-endurance races, like, you learn so much while you're out there that you just know you can shave time off next time, and how much less I could bring, and um, yeah, just knowing the trail that much more, so it was, yeah. But at that moment, I didn't even care about setting the record. I was just glad to be, glad to be done. <laughs> glad to be done. Get some sleep. Yeah.
1: Um, and that's why I feel like it always is the case is that once you're done with something, you go, oh, there's, I know exactly how yeah. I can be one day faster. Dude, how man. many, how long did it take you to complete it? 10 days. 10 days. Yeah. 800 miles. So that's almost a hundred miles a day.
0: Yep.
1: A hundred miles alone. We'll we'll put you out for two days. Yeah. Let alone um, repetitive impact on the body like that. Um, So the recovery must have been insane too. Mm -hmm. Was it just...
0: Yeah, I just laid on the couch for a couple of days with big swollen elephant feet. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, man. Um, And so the Arizona Trail Race was complete. And how did that make you feel towards everything after the fact of the medical malpractice and going through um psychosis Mm -hmm. and um knowing that this was the race that i'm just doing for myself i'm gonna support myself and this is just for chase um when you got done now you don't have that Mm -hmm. right you don't have that thing to look forward to like i'm this isn't my race to get me out of it. Um, did you ha- did you expect to feel the way you did after the race?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, but anyway, it was um, regardless of um, of the amount of days that it took me. I felt so much stronger and capable, and that was another reason that I did it. Is that I just needed to believe in myself again. Like I'd lost. Um, sometimes I say that I lost myself, but really what I had lost during, while suffering from Adderall induced psychosis was, um, or recovering from it was a belief in myself. And so, um, just feeling, um, capable again, that I could, um, yeah, that I could keep riding such huge distances and stay positive and keep my head in the game. And I had a fair amount of mechanicals too, so to fix those when those arose, um, and also, um, a couple of, Um, crashes, you know, and you need to keep, you know, when you're out there for that many days, keep things clean um, when you do tear up in your knee, for example. (laughs) So it was just that um, taking care of yourself.
1: Boom. That's where the episode cut off. Unfortunately, we had a bunch of good conversation after this point. So I want to apologize for the technical error. Um, I'm new to this. I'm just trying to get better at figuring out what softwares work best for the podcast. Um I just got another microphone. So the as you can see the audio does sound much much better. I'm just trying to figure out little glitches like this. But anyway, you guys rock. Thank you so much for just giving me a listen, giving Chase a listen. Um, I loved hearing her story. I hope you did too. Um And if you wanted to read a little bit more into Chase's experience through the 2020 pandemic, um, she wrote an amazing article on the Radivist. So I'm going to put a link down in the show notes for you guys. So you can click that and check it out. I'll also throw a few links um, for Moxie Life and EnduroBytes if you guys wanted to check out those. Um, two supplements that I use. And then also, if you guys wanted to check out the feed, it's a uh, ba- basically an Amazon for all of your endurance nutrition you could ever want. Um, I will throw that down in the show notes as well. So you guys can just check those out um, and give me any feedback as well um, on Quinn Travis, um, my Instagram feed. So I'm going to be kind of throwing all in one um, social media platform. Hopefully in the future, I'll, I'll make another instagram for the stoke productions but anyway guys you know my mon, my motto stay stoked um, and deal that stoke he is stoke dealer peace